Many people think that the best way to escape war is to dwell upon its horrors and to imprint them vividly upon the minds of the younger generation. Upon the minds of the younger generation. Upon the minds of the younger generation. In the minds of the younger generation. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Open Table Podcast. I'm Aziza Gore and I am here with two fabulous guests. Please introduce yourselves. I am Emily Knight. I am the pastor of Riverside Park United Methodist Church. I'm Terry Morrison and don't have a fun fact like that. I, um, I grew up in West Texas, live in Jacksonville now, and I own a yoga studio, teach yoga and mindfulness practices to individuals and in corporate environments. Are you nervous about this? You know, I, I am a little nervous about this. I'm not really accustomed to being reported in this way mm. and I'm very aware of the topic that we'll be discussing and I'm really sensitive to um, the idea of not causing harm yeah that my own personal beliefs um, I hope are not harmful to anyone else yeah that's like the all of what we're trying to unpack also is just the harm that church has caused because we haven't been intentional with that. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, how would you describe your faith? Or like how would you label your faith right now? I think I'm a very spiritual person. Mm-hmm. I believe in a loving God and I believe that as humans we are inherently good and loving mm-hmm. and I feel like I moved from that without labeling I was raised in a conservative Christian church went to a conservative um, Christian university and have that as part of my background I feel now having that as part of my story not that I've rejected that or turned away from that, but rather I don't go to church now. Mm-hmm. My beliefs are really simple, and it's really just love, and that God is loving and wants good for us and wants us to be good, and I try to move from that mm-hmm. to, to be good and loving and to operate under the assumption that others are also good and loving when given the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I would echo a lot of that mm-hmm. and say, I mean, I, I think that's when the beauty, I think when we have these kind of faith conversations is usually we find more common ground than we think is usually present. Um, I, I mean, as far as 
labeling my faith. I mean, I definitely also grew up in the church. Um, my experience of the church was probably a little bit less conservative than yours. Um, I and I've the more I find out about the Methodist tradition of Christianity, um, kind of the Wesleyan approach to looking. Well, and I, let me take a step back. Even um, I think my understanding of God, from what you said, I would say. Yeah, that's a lot of my understanding of God, too, is, yes, I believe in God. I believe in God's goodness. I believe that God created humanity good. Like, there's a goodness, there's an inherent goodness. Um, and I think my understanding of who God is is found in the person and stories of Jesus, those stories that, in my opinion, echo and really kind of bring back like in a concrete way, God's goodness and love and care for the poor and God's sense of justice and you know really wanting to bring in the outsiders, which would probably be my definition of love. Um, and I think part of my, the church piece for me is less of a, here's how you have to believe and more of a community of people that are saying, hey, we believe God is good and we believe God is love and that we're called to love others and be more like Jesus. So how can we do this together? How can we learn from one another to live in this way? And so for me, that, that's, that's what I think religion should be, is that space, that channel through which we are actively living into the goodness and love of God for us and for our community. When did that... When did you decide that that was what you wanted? Because I, because I also grew up in church, but it wasn't until I was about thirteen that I was like, "Okay, this can be mine now." So, at what point were you like, "Okay, this, this is not, this is not just my church background. This is not just my family's heirloom. Like, this is now my." For me, faith became, I mean, I feel like faith was always kind of a part of me. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny, we have like a baby, like a notebook I had when I was really little and I was like writing silly poems and some of them were just like poems of giving thanks to God for the world. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there was, a, I mean, that's like that very childish form of prayer, I feel like has always been in me. Mm -hmm. um, but the very personal part of faith when it really became challenged and I was like yeah no I believe this was probably fifth grade um, when my dad was diagnosed with cancer mm -hmm. and so I think that challenge that that challenge really became the opportunity to say well do I actually believe this uh, and that was the space where I was leaning on friends and asking for help and prayer and um, really saw the church support our family in a beautiful way. Like that to, to me, the beauty of church is when we had folks from the church that were driving my brother and I to and from school when my dad went blind and my mom was driving him to doctor's appointments. There, were, there was almost always a card in the mail from somebody just saying, hey, we're praying for you, we're thinking about you. I can't tell you how many people stopped by and brought food. Mm -hmm. um, it was, that, that to me was, feeling that concrete love and that active support. Mm -hmm. 
and seeing seeing that support not just for me and my brother and my dad but also for my mom and just feeling that love and knowing its presence would be my way of saying yeah no this is my my community is loving me and forming us Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I'm really glad that you had that support. And I think in all communities, faith or not, that's an important part of how mm-hmm. um, I think we should be to take care of each other. I do think that most of us are looking for ways to be of service and to be helpful. Um, just uh, on a, a flip side of that, I just read this really, it's making its way around social media, this blog post um, about casseroles, or you, have you Mm-mm. seen this? Um, I don't know if you do show notes, but I could shoot over the, <laughs> the link if you do that. Um, it's a lovely um, presentation of this idea of churches and casseroles, right? And like when something goes wrong in a family and the people come together and give casseroles. And the author of the blog um, was speaking to her 20-something year marriage where her husband left her and her children and she was devastated and she was very much a part of a church and stopped going in her grief and said that she would um, pray at night that God would take her in her sleep because she didn't know how to live with the life that she was had just been dealt clearly in distress and it went unnoticed um, by the church Mm -hmm. and sometime after that her dear friend and fellow church members husband unexpectedly died and the church really delivered you know casseroles you know overflowing freezer mowing the yard people cleaning the house and they were friends and they discussed how the end of their marriages affected I mean how they how the differently the church reacted to that she was later uh, diagnosed with breast cancer and in this really powerful statement she said you do get casseroles for cancer. And she said that her suffering was less with regard to cancer than it was to that previous experience. And I think the, the point behind it is just that there are different types of suffering and sometimes I think in, in all communities we respect or understand or are comfortable maybe with being helpful in certain types of suffering and uncomfortable, perhaps even judgmental in other types of suffering. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that um, maybe we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. Um, When when we're suffering, it might not be something that um, is comfortable to talk about in a public forum or with our church, Mm -hmm. but the suffering is still there and the suffering needs support or the person suffering needs support. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is, the disconnect between sometimes church is really good at helping people and then sometimes we just drop the ball? If I, if I could answer that, I think it's just, I think there's some fear and lack mm-hmm. of understanding. Um, when we have a lot of rules and we're, um, there's good and bad. If we, two things, one, if we just don't understand the suffering, Mm -hmm. we don't know what to do with it or how to be with it. And secondly, there can be, I think, sometimes blame placed on the person who's suffering, and we don't really know what to do with that. Mm. 
the answer to me is just that suffering is suffering. There's a, uh, I thought of this thing about, um, perhaps you've known someone when you were in like elementary school who had a, like a broken foot or an injured ankle and they were on crutches, right? Mm -hmm. So the teachers would assign a helper, like someone to carry books, you know what I'm talking about? And that person's role was not to tend to the medical need of the student, was to just lighten the load and keep them company. And if a need arose, to address it and to yeah. be helpful. And I think that's part of it is just, we might not need to know the cause, but we can address the suffering from this point forward as needs arise. And it might just mean keeping a person company as they work through whatever. Mm. And, and in there, maybe they find their faith restored or their relationship with God. Mm. I love that image of the book carrier. There's a, um, there's a really great, and, and I think you're absolutely right about that sense of discomfort with grief. Um, and if, if, if I were to kind of name some of that space where that doesn't happen, I think a lot of times that happens, and it depends on the congregation. Um, I think it's a, it's a discomfort also with an imp with an imperfection, kind of. You know, I feel like some churches, in churches that handle grief well, and I mean all kinds of shades of grief. Because uh, I think another area where churches, some churches just really drop the ball is in, in, in the area of miscarriage. Because mm -hmm. um, that's, that's one of those, like, and that's not just churches. I think just in general in society, we, we don't handle grief well. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, miscarriages, mental illness is another area of grief that's hard to deal with. Um, depression, job loss is another grief that's, that we struggle with. Um, and, and just, just general, like the shifting and changing of identity. Mm. And I mean, these are all points and stages of grief. And in churches where faith is equal to happiness, or, or like when, when you are in, in more evangelical churches, I know there's this, a strong trend of to, be, to believe in God means you're gonna be blessed and your life is gonna be better and everything's gonna be great. Mm. When that breaks down, uh, when you get a divorce and your marriage falls apart, or when you struggle with depression and you just don't feel happy on a Sunday morning, like that, that kind of space uncomfortably sometimes get equates with a lack of faith, which is also this big shameful thing. Mm. Um, that's, that's hard theologically to wrestle with. Um, I think a different theology is to equate those gray spaces those spaces of suffering and to really say, I mean, to come back to the Jesus thing, I mean, when Jesus was in the temple, the scroll he chose to read of all the scrolls was a passage from Isaiah that says that he has come to set the oppressed free, to bind up the brokenhearted, to, to be really in those spaces of suffering. And then when you see the person of Jesus go to those folks that have mental illness or to go to the folks that have lost children or to go to the folks that otherwise, you know, would have 
no job or homeless. I mean, these are the folks that Jesus would hang out with. That's a very different theology. Instead of saying, hey, faith in God equals a really great, happy, shiny life, to say Jesus is with us through the uncomfortable pieces, mm -hmm. to, say, to say that in those places of suffering, that might actually be where God encounters us, where we, we, can't, we can encounter God in those gray spaces. Um, theologically, I would say that Jesus is a book carrier for us. At least that's my understanding of, of Jesus. Um, that's, and in churches, I think, that get that, they're much more likely to be open to those kind of grief spaces. Um, but you're right in that a lot of times we don't, we don't see it. Sometimes it's, it's as simple as people just stop coming to church because they, and then they don't share with their community because they're, the, the trust isn't there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, and I, that's a really good point, is that the trust isn't there. So I think mm -hmm. the thing is, how do you create an environment where trust is there, where it is a, a safe refuge and not a false refuge, mm -hmm. where we're saying, this is, this is a safe place, but then you walk in and you don't feel safe, mm -hmm. right? There is judgment there that's felt, if not um, spoken. Um, I'm thinking of a, uh, this isn't, doesn't have to do with church, but just a life situation of um, someone who has a, an adult son in prison. Mm -hmm. And that's not really, I, don't, I wouldn't envision this person walking into church and announcing that. The suffering is tremendous from that. And I think there are probably that a lot of examples of that where there's just suffering and th that's not going to be named. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how churches can work with that, can, can provide a safe place for people to have some, some space, like a feeling, a feeling and a sense of space to be able to develop a relationship with God or with a, a, a source of divine support, whatever, however that would be labeled. I, I think sometimes what happens when we tell the stories that well-meaning people recite common phrases that aren't necessarily helpful and, you know, very, very few are trained, <laughs> right, in, in psychotherapy or to, to be a counselor. We just kind of draw on our own experiences and what was helpful to us or unhelpful to us and then try to move from that. And because we're all so different, we might be causing harm. To my mind, there's this spaciousness, this slowing down and not being so quick to fix, but just kind of carrying the books and being present mm -hmm. that feels helpful to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think you, you used a phrase I think that was really helpful when you, you talked about having space for a relationship. Um, my best friends 
the ones I have the most authentic relationships with are the friends that I can absolutely vent and say the most horrible thing ever. And really, I mean, again, churchy, theologically, like that's confession, that space to say, to say out loud those horrible things and also to not necessarily be fixed. Because a relationship is not somebody who's fixing me because there's a there's a pedestal line set there you know there's a to fix somebody else means that you are inherently better like that's the theological thing that's happening Mm -hmm. and you're right I think as churches we we do harm as people we do harm intentionally and unintentionally so I would I would say that yeah I think probably the first thing we the churches need to do is be honest about that mm-hmm. and say hey we we do harm we don't mean to yeah. but we do harm so we're, we're sorry yeah we do uh every year for mother's day we read a litany and mother's day and again like sometimes churches just mother's day is one of those days where we're like real excited to celebrate moms and it can be this like very warm fuzzy well like it's this like on the surface level of course we would celebrate moms what Mm a what an easy thing like yes like I even some smaller I went to a small church one time where they had like the mom who had the most number of children and grandchildren stand up (laughs) which like on the surface level like yay celebrating that family (laughs) what was the number I'm curious oh um I think it was like 12 because there were lots of children and lots of and like grand great grandchildren and so yeah right but you're absolutely right Aziza when you went oh no yeah because when I was when I went to that church um I had a couple friends that were deeply struggling with infertility at the time so to walk into that mindset if you have infertility or if you've had a miscarriage like that is traumatic right um and so for Mother's Day now from learning from my experience and my friends that told me, hey, this is painful for me. Um, We have this great litany that we read on Mother's Day where we say, you know, there's a whole spectrum of motherhood. For moms that have kids that are incarcerated, like, we pray for you. For those, for families that have lost children, like, we acknowledge your suffering. You know, I think, and I think there's a phrase that says, for those of you that are walking the path of infertility and going through prods and pokes like we acknowledge your experience and we we I mean there's that you know carrying hope just like you know carrying books is is a piece of the church piece that's holding on to hope for somebody is not the same as fixing and I think we need to do better at that piece yeah um and naming you know what sometimes we just can't carry any more books because we've got our own books that we're carrying but we refuse to acknowledge (laughs) yeah Yeah, sure Sure. there is the thing of the church is causing unintentional harm right like they were just trying to celebrate moms and they weren't really considering the ones the other ones in the room who had that personal struggle with infertility Um, but then like what about when the church is intentionally harming because they think that's what God wants. You know, or like, Mm. um, or even I'm curious about your experience as like a young woman in church space, like ministry, and like the discrimination that must come. Like maybe not from within the UMC, but like 
and maybe also from within the UFC, <laughs> but even just from knowing like other denominations might invalidate that for you. I have definitely had moments where I'll, you know, I'll introduce myself as the pastor and people are like, oh, you're like the children's pastor. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, no, I'm like the pastor. I'm the big church. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> um, it's, so it's different from, for me personally to experience other people kind of invalidating my call because that's, my call doesn't come from other people. My call comes from God. Mm. And, you know, a wise person once told me, hey, you know, as you get to that church, if people have a problem with you being a woman and a pastor, they'll probably leave before you get there. Mm. Um, and that's pretty much true. And I, I hate to, it sounds really callous for me to say, well, if they don't want me to be their pastor, like, I can't, I'm not going to force myself into that yeah. role of pastor. Like, yeah. I I have been called to this. Mm. And that is a, that was a long process, a very long process of discernment that made it so the, that there's, there's no doubt that this was not my idea. Mm. And, I mean, but, it, but if, if, people weren't going to judge me for being a woman. They could judge me for being too young. Mm-hmm. They could judge me for having different opinions. They, I mean, there's... My job in the church is not to make people happy because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, we... Churches, we, we do, not just churches, but people, we do real harm when we put our opinions on other people. Mm-hmm. And that's that has nothing to do with church or not church. Like... Mm-hmm. We just happen to baptize it, and we expect more from people in the church. Um, But again, it's that book-carrying relationship piece. If what we're going to say is, look, here's, here's what I believe about God, and here's what you believe about God, and we're going to come alongside and follow this Jesus together, or follow this God together, that's a very different approach to church. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I am seeing more and more of that now. Um, but that was a really roundabout. Did that answer your question? It does. Okay. It does. Would you say, um, Terry, that you define church in any way? Do you, do you have... Because for me, I'm starting to define church outside of just like confines of the building um and in just like moments that I have with people just like radical honesty um would you define church in any way for yourself or so the the idea of the building and Mm -hmm. getting dressed up on Sunday morning isn't part of my experience anymore right um I'm really aware of the miracles that happen every day. I have a, a little garden, mm-hmm. a little raised bed garden that my daughter and I built together. And right now I have um, I've planted seeds. Mm-hmm. And there's the dark brown soil and the tiny little tips of green popping up. It's really exciting to me. Yeah. That's a miracle to me. Mm-hmm. That's um, something that I take a lot of joy in and it's amazing to me really right so just to watch that process and I 
in conversations like this, I would say this would be um, a spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. So if, if church is a, an experience, this would be it, mm -hmm. right? To have honest, loving, respectful conversation. And, you know, every time we have experiences with nature or with other humans or anything where there's gratitude and appreciation and acknowledgement that it's special, to me that's a relationship, an acknowledgement of something beyond me which would be, I, to my mind, perhaps the, one of the things about church is to get to that mindset of love, and compassion, and connectedness with others and the universe, or everything that is, that's good and special. Mm. For me, that doesn't happen in a building. Mm. I, um, I have enough experiences that kind of does the opposite. And what I noticed about the space of a church building is that I didn't like my own mind as mm. much. I would become a little critical, a little judgmental, mm. in a different way, not judgmental of the people who were in need, mm. but more of the people who were pretending to be, you know, who were standing on the pedestal and um, pretending to have all the answers and being critical of other people's lifestyle. Yeah. So it's better for me. I'm a better person and of greater service mm -hmm. to not be in that environment. Mm -hmm. But I fully, completely support, encourage anyone of any faith to go to the buildings and spaces of faith where people are coming together if that's helpful to them. Mm -hmm. Because you, you went from growing up in Christian school, um, and you have all of that traditional background, and now you've sort of unboxed that, and you're like living without the comprehensive of religion. Do you struggle also with feeling invalidated with your faith, or does that ever come up for you at all? Not at all. Mm. I'm very confident in my beliefs. And I'm not saying that it ha that happened overnight. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how to answer that. Well, how'd you grow such confidence? I think it was shedding the negativity and the fear mm -hmm. that my religious experience promoted, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't, my experience with organized religion was not God is love and God is carrying the books and they're with you. It was, if you do not do all these things correctly, you are going to have this really terrible thing happen to you when you die, yeah. <laughs> right? So, so much of my life was about fear. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's quite liberating to 
think differently. And, to, and, and honestly, it just never made sense to me. So I was being told that God is loving and God loves me and cares about me, but yet this punishment was waiting for me if I messed up. Right. And I, there's one thing. I remember in Sunday school as a young person asking the question. So there was the real absolute teaching of if you were a Christian as defined in this way, you would go to heaven, and if you were any other kind of Christian or any other religion, you would go to hell, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and hell was like really described in de great detail what that yeah. would be like, right, to a child. And I remember like ask, raising my hand and asking my Sunday school teacher, what about people in countries where they don't talk about Jesus? Mm -hmm. And his answer was, it's your responsibility to make sure that they know Jesus, mm. which is kind of a lot of pressure to put on a child, yeah. right? Because I really wasn't that globally aware anyway, just right. like an occasional National Geographic, right? Right. So that kind of pressure and that responsibility was a lot. Mm -hmm. And it didn't make sense to me. So if God is loving and he's created these people, they don't have access to this very important information, therefore, it, they are doomed, and it's because of me, therefore, have I done my job? Have I done enough to warrant right. this? It was all very confusing. Mm -hmm. it, and I found as I, you know, growing up and even in, in college, a lot of inconsistencies in that kind of thought. Mm -hmm. So now when I say I have confidence, it's really liberating to sit back and say, I believe that God actually is love, mm -hmm. and that doing my best to be good. I'm no longer trying to just not do things wrong. I'm trying to do things well, live my life well and do good things mm -hmm. and be helpful to people. And that's all very positive. From there, that feels liberating and comfortable mm -hmm. and more right to me than just avoiding punishment. Right. <laughs> one of my struggles in conversations like this when we're is I, f I feel like sometimes there's this concept of like well churches do this and, when, and I feel like there's such a and not to be like hey Methodism is perfect because it is not perfect <laughs> like we've got our issues like I have issues my church has issues like but there's such a big difference in like everything that you just talked about theologically I'm like yes this whole like I mean, one of the tenets of Wesleyan theology is do good, do no harm, stay in love with God. Like, those are the general rules of, like, here's how you live your life as a Christian, is you intentionally do good in the world around you, because that's our, that's our call, it's, and it's not out of some obligation um, to intentionally not do harm, minimize that, and then to find, to find the practices that allow us to give worship to God and praise and to wonder in the miracles of creation. I mean, to me, that's everything you just described would be my, my theological grounding. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, and, and one of my pieces that I always struggle with is I, I have a hard time not judging conservative evangelical Christians <laughs> because sure. it's, because sure. I'm like, I mean, first of all, that, like, here's exactly what hell looks like, and here's a checklist of who gets in and out of hell. Like, that's yeah. not in the Bible. 
like if it were like if that were really the way that it worked if god clearly had a very clear understanding is this going to be on the recording i'm sorry um it might but it's totally fine hey podcast listeners (laughs) speaking of imperfection that is my child crying (laughs) and also loved and safe um but yeah, no, I mean, if God had a very specific, here's, like, this is the key for who, how you get in and out of hell, like, I feel like that would, think there wouldn't be stories in the Bible, it would just be a checklist. Yeah, like, right. if God is loving, God would give us the checklist, like, right. let's be honest. Yeah, right. um, and then, if the entire point of living is to get to the point where you die and then reach judgment, then the whole point of living is just, like, twiddling your thumbs and trying not to mess up so badly you know yeah. I mean but my when I read the scriptures and I look at Jesus like to me I mean that that even that little prayer of like may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven mm-hmm. like the practice of Christianity isn't just waiting to get to heaven one day the practice of Christianity in my understanding of it mm-hmm. is to find those spaces where heaven is being lived out on earth like it's God's God is in process of saying, hey, there's suffering in the world. There shouldn't be. Let me work on hearts. Let me work on situations. Let me give grace. And and that's that's a drastically different approach than, like, here's the black and white of who's in or out. Right. And it's so stinking arrogant to think that we would even know. Right? <laughs> I, I completely agree. Right. There is an arrogance to even saying that even how we think somebody else should live, right? Right. I, yeah. And I think um, this is perhaps one of the uh, things that made me a little uncomfortable in saying that I, I don't want to cause harm or um, criticize another person's beliefs. I will say that I will acknowledge that certainly my exposure was extreme. And that there could be, you know, a middle path or a little, you know, easing into. Um, and just when I first met you, Emily, just I was so um, impressed with your openness and your um, confidence as well in what you believe. Many um, people in your position, ministers, will, you know, kind of put up a wall of any idea that's different from what what is their tradition Mm -hmm. and so and I think that even just participating in this and Aziza you putting this together is is a really foreign concept to me and and I'm grateful to be a part of it yeah well and I think what what's really sad at the end of the day when churches are judgmental and mean and angry is like I think had now this may be judgmental on my side (laughs) but I think if you had grown up in a more middle of the road congregation there's a possibility that your voice would still be in that congregation Um, and quite frankly like I think for you to come and say here's how I experience God here's how I experience spirituality here's you know here's how yoga like really encourages my life I mean I think those are the kind of testimonies and witnesses that the that church people need that the world needs so I lament that church in its box form was harmful for you and and I lament that on behalf of church in the box form that I've learned to love I lament that we have missing your voice for what it's worth thank you it's interesting because like 
from the outside, your face. Face? Look. The labels. The labels. Yeah, like, you're a pastor at a church. You garden as church. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, but at the heart of it, you both do healing work um, and believe um, that God is love and that people are originally good and that like that's where it starts and so it's just it's beautiful to see that the different paths really aren't that different from each other like they might um, be acted out differently but at the heart it's all one and the same yeah I think um, a la labeling mm -hmm. we would label things differently but I think I mean, I feel a real kinship with you, and I, I feel like we could sit and talk forever and share common ground. Drink coffee together. Sure. Drink wine together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Well, thank you so much for coming on and for talking and for sharing your experiences. I really enjoyed it. Madeline says hi. <laughs> <laughs> This is gonna sound really weird if you can't hear it at the microphone. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, Aziza, for putting this together, and really, I'm thank proud you. of you and happy for you and all that you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you.